Let's go to Matthew chapter 16, and I want to read verses 17, 18, and 19. Matthew chapter 16, verses 17, 18, and 19. The key verse will be verse 18. And, and, and just briefly here, we, we want to teach on the, the attributes of a, of a great church. Matthew 16, 17, 18, 19. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Look at verse 18 again. Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Whatever we believe about the church, it somehow has to be based upon what we have in Scripture. We have to have some kind of example of what we are to do when we gather, what we should believe as Christians, and then the way to carry out our conduct when we're together, how we're to live outside of the church. But one of the, the, the great challenges that we have in rural areas is that sometimes we, we, because you don't necessarily have the people that they have in the large cities, sometimes the rural areas are looked down upon. Here recently, Charles Stanley's son, Andy Stanley, had made some statements about small churches that he later on tried to walk back, but they were uh, so condescending to rural churches that there's just been a lot of backlash about it. But I thought I'd at least take the time to read some of this. Now, he is far more liberal than his dad. He's got a mega church. Six different campuses, about 30,000 people down there in the south of uh, Atlanta. But he, he made a statement in a message entitled, Saved by the Church. And he was talking about parents that are very selfish in keeping their, their young people in small churches rather than driving long distances to go to a mega church. And here is what he said. When I hear adults say, well, I don't like a big church. I like about 200 or so. I want to be able to know everybody. He says, I say you are all so stinking selfish. You care nothing about the next generation. All you care about is you and your five friends, and you don't care about your kids or anybody else's kids. If you don't go to a church large enough where you can have enough middle schoolers and high schoolers to separate them so that they can have small groups and grow up the local church, you are a selfish adult. Get over it. Find yourself a big old church where your kids can connect with a bunch of people and grow up and love the local church. Instead, you drag your kids to a church they hate. And then they grow up and hate the local church. They go to college and you pray that there will be a church in the college town that they connect with. Guess what? All those churches are big. Well, of course, that, that, that excited a lot of anger, and he tried, as I said, to walk back some of the statements that, that he made, because essentially he was saying that all small church, churches should just close down. 
and that the, the parents should just run off to the larger churches. I, I've been a part of different kinds of churches. The church I got saved in, we probably had three or four hundred people in it. We had a youth director. The uh, bishop had been there, I guess, 40, 45 years. So the church grew up around him. He knew everybody in the church. He'd married all of the adults for the most part, as well as their kids, baptized everybody. So he had a relationship with everybody. Then I was in a church that was smaller than that one time, about 150 people. Pastor Frano knew everybody that was in there. Certainly the presence of God was there. I was active with a lot of the young people in the church and doing different things with them, as well as preaching adult revivals and camp meetings and everything else. But before we came here, we were part of Jimmy Swaggart Ministries, thousand people in the church. Certainly, Brother Swaggart and his wife didn't know everybody in the church by name, but they knew who all the regulars were. We'd all sit on the platform. We could look and see who was not there that Sunday, had to be working or something. We knew everybody that was there. I knew just about everybody by name, as did Tiffany, all the people that were there. Well, certainly all churches that are large can afford and can offer things that smaller churches cannot offer. But it's also true that in the larger churches, most of the people don't have a connection or relationship with their pastor. They don't know him personally. Uh, they rarely, if ever, get a chance to sit down with him unless they make an appointment with the first, second or third secretary or something like that. But I think rather than looking at the model of what goes on in a large city or even in a rural church, that the emphasis for any congregation should somehow come back to the Bible and our conception of what a congregation or fellowship or the mission of a church is supposed to be should be connected with the scripture. And the first thing I would say is that it takes great people to have a great church, not a great person. No church can revolve around one individual or two individuals. It takes good people in a church in order for there to be a good church. All of us know that a church rises and falls with the pulpit. If truth isn't preached, no one wants to come and hear it. Who wants to go and hear, listen to, listen to someone tell lies about God and lies about the Bible? But at the same time, the church then has to be built around what the scriptures teach. I mean, every one of us in here. We care about all of the young people in this church. And, and there's no doubt about whether it was meetings at Mahoney's or us going to Worlds of Fun or whatever we, we, we've done in the summertime, different times with kids. The one thing we have always tried to do is encourage the parents to make sure that we don't just bring folks to church, but we take the church home with us and that we live the life in front of them. The best example any young per person is ever going to have is not just that they have a bunch of sale groups, and there's nothing wrong with that, that they have a bunch of youth directors, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the best example will be the one that's provided in the home. The influence in the home is absolutely essential. Parents, listen to me when I, when I say this. That there ought not ever be anybody closer to your children than you. Never a youth minister, never, never a youth director. I do believe that... In families where individuals don't go to church, those kind of relationships are established. Just like in children's homes where they go to school and they enjoy being with the gym teacher or a coach more than they do with their own parents. But this should never be in a Christian home. The relationship is essential. 
And so as a pastor, my relationship with every individual in here, as well as the other fellowship, is important to me because connection and relationship is essential. If you don't respect me, you won't ever listen to me. And the moment I lose your respect, I lose my influence. It doesn't matter how anointed any preacher is. If you don't respect him, you won't listen to him. Television, radio. If you find out certain things about people that cause them to uh, lose certain standing in your eyes, they could be so anointed that people are falling in every direction, but they'll never have influence over you because you don't respect them. It's the same thing with politicians. Well, the second thing that I'd say about the attributes of a good church is it has to be known that the church is spiritual. See, this isn't something that you put on a board and then you start, you know, placing all of these things. If you do one, two, three, four, and five, then six, seven, eight is automatically going to happen. It doesn't work like that at all. The church is a spiritual entity connected to the Lord with him as the head and us as the body. We draw our life from him. That's important. Now, there are a lot of people that believe that the church is nothing more than a natural organization like the Peace Corps. And we're to do good works and good deeds. We should do good things, but we're spiritual. We, we believe in new birth. We believe in a change of heart, a change of life. I believe that when the evidence of the new birth is no longer a new life, then you won't have anybody born again. It cannot be that simply somebody is baptized or someone goes to church. There has to be a genuine relationship. Now, this is where I would run into conflict with people like Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, because for them, the church is nothing more than a than a civil rights organization designed to create activities in the church building, teach people how to read, how to cope with AIDS, those kinds of programs, literacy programs. Well, it's fine if a church does things like that, but let's never lose the primary mission of the church, which is the gospel of Jesus and transform lives. The best example of what a church is like will be revealed in how you live. Paul said to the Corinthians, you are living epistles known and read of all people. Whatever people think about me and whatever people think about us as a church, they will think that based on what they see when they meet you. That's what they, that's what they will think. So the church is a spiritual entity. Now there is a, it's been a movement for decades called the World Council of Churches, and you've probably heard of them. Many of the major denominations have joined in with him. They deny the Bibles, the inspired word of God. They deny the blood atonement of Jesus. They deny he died on the cross for our sins. They deny his virgin birth. They deny he was raised from the dead. They deny he ascended to heaven and that he's a judge. And one day he's going to come back. And multitudes of denominations have signed on with that particular movement. It is a natural organization. They don't care anything about truth. They don't care anything about the Bible, the word of God. And because of that, we have a host of people that have been lost. Think of all the preachers that are in churches today that promote same-sex marriage, homosexuality, yet call themselves Christian. See, the same man that, who read the, the, the quote that I mentioned at the beginning also promotes homosexuality. Because once you, once you lose sight of the fact that the church is a spiritual entity, then prayer and fasting no longer is important. 
So Isaiah 58 is very plain. It said, if you want to break the yokes of bondage and cause your health to spring forth like the sunrise, and you want to see yourself humbled in the presence of God, he said, you can do that by prayer and fasting. The turning of the plate down. Natural-minded people won't do that. They won't pray. They won't fast. Somebody who doesn't believe in miracles is not going to take the time to talk to God. And certainly a person who doesn't believe in the supernatural is not going to say, I can humble this flesh of mine by fasting. Why is fasting important? It's important because the first sin mentioned in the Bible is connected with eating. They lusted with their eyes for the fruit. And the scripture says that they desired it, thinking it would make them wise. They devoured it. And the scripture is very plain with us that when we turn the plate down, the one thing that we do is we notify this body that our belly is not our God. And we're not going to be governed and controlled by it. Remember, a God is anything that requires your time, your resources, and your energy. And if we're not careful, that belly will do that to us. The church is a spiritual entity. The same people that will tell us that all the middle schoolers and everybody else should have a thousand programs then won't talk about the necessity of being spiritual with God. Now, let's be honest, folks. When it comes to a congregation and it comes to a church, we can have dreams and aspirations of all the things that we want to see. But the bottom line, you know what it comes down to? You got to work with what you have. That's what it comes down. You got to work with what you have. If you have anointed musicians, you can use them. If you have anointed singers, you can use them if they want to be used. See, so all the talents and gifts that people have that they make available in the house of God, those things can supply the need that is necessary, but that church has to be a spiritual church. The third thing from Matthew 16, 18, we have to know that Jesus is the architect of an indestructible church. The gates of hell can't prevail against God is the one who created the church. And whether we were to survive or live won't matter. The church of Jesus Christ will continue. I can promise you that there will always be people that love Jesus. If every one of us walked out of here and backslid and decided we're never going to darken the doors of a church again and we're never going to serve God, I can promise you there will be someone in this earth that has a testimony for Christ. It's never going away. Jesus is the architect of it. He's the head. His life flows from him into the body, just like we're the branches. And he is the vine at the same time. His mind flows through us into us so that we can be a blessing to all kinds of people. Christ is the architect. Well, then also we have to learn this then. Here's another attribute of a great church. They learn all of the scripture. You know, you can't just read the parts you like. When I came to Nebraska, there were people that used to do home church videos with, uh, with different ministries. And I can remember sometimes they'd get up and they'd talk to one another and they'd say, well, who, who, what, what do we want to listen to? Who do we want to hear today? Well, isn't, that, isn't that convenient? You can put in the preacher that you want and hear the kind of message that you want. You can choose whether or not you want to hear conviction or whether you don't want to hear conviction. The sheep has to graze where the pastor himself or herself feeds in the word of God. And if it makes me healthy and strong, I believe it'll bless you also. So we feed in the New Testament. We feed in the Old Testament. 
I go to many full gospel churches where they tell you just avoid the Old Testament. Don't even read it at all. Just read Paul's epistles. They teach you who you are in Christ. One of our young people from Red Cloud many years ago went to a Bible college on the West Coast. And there on the West Coast, they told him, they said, we don't bother with the Old Testament here because we're more interested in you learning who you are in Christ and walking in power. And when he called me on the telephone, I told him, I said, well, look, here's what the scripture says. The scripture says that that, that Jesus is foreshadowed in the law, the writings and the prophets, that you cannot appreciate Jesus unless you understand what God has given us in the Old Testament. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. And a good church is going to make sure everybody learns all of the Bible, which is why I've always through the years been very careful to look back over where I've taken you guys through the past year or so to look at the territory that we still need to cover. Now, all pastors don't teach long studies like I do in the full gospel world. Most pastors do topical studies. But sometimes I, I, I'll go through Philippians for over a year. I'll go through Colossians for six months. Because when you're forced to go through the scripture verse by verse, then you've got to face up the scriptures that maybe you hadn't studied before and learn them. Then you've got to face things that maybe you, did, you don't like and see what the scripture says about them. The sheep has to graze through the scriptures. The one, the, 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 the verse in 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show yourself approved unto God. That's something you do. You should have your own private devotional when you get up each day and you read the Bible. Start your day that way. Young people, you're headed to school, get up 15 minutes early. Meditate on the scripture. Read about what the word says. Before you go to work, spend some time with your face in the book. Before you go to sleep, spend some more time with your face in the book and let the word of God saturate your mind, give you something to meditate on. By this way, you, you cleanse your path, the scripture says. So the, the sheep then, by feeding this way, become healthy. So any, any shepherd that has sheep, they normally, if they put the male and female sheep together, you put some rams and everything out there. You, you didn't know that the shepherd doesn't have to stand out there and tell the ram, okay, that's a, that's a girl over there. So you, you go over there and you be, you be a male sheep with that girl sheep. You don't have to tell them that at all. It's natural inclination. And, and with us, out of our relationship with God and, and our health through the word of God, healthy sheep reproduce. So there's something in us that desires to be a witness to other people. We don't want to hide what we have. We want people to know it. So we take the time then to teach topically. At the same, same time, we take the time to teach verse by verse. And we take a, take a passage of scripture that may have five or six verses and sometimes just spend weeks looking into it to see what it is that God is saying to us. Here's the fifth thing about the attribute of a great church, and this will be somewhat different than what people hear often today. That is, a church seeks to reflect a holy God. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 5.27 says, The Lord coming back for a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Colossians 1.22 says we should be unblameable in the love of God. Now, we have people that we know, if you can believe this, people that we know that in their church, they, they have DJs for the young people. They, they gather at the church. 
Might be a couple of hundred young people. And they'll have a DJ to just, he mixes up there on the turntables and he plays secular music at the church. So the young people can get together and mix and mingle. Folks, when I, when I, when I think about young people, it, it just seems to me be better not to gather than to gather for that purpose. You know, I, I just don't think that in the house of God we need to be teaching folks how to moonwalk. I think when it comes to the things of God, we, we, we ought to be spiritual enough to try to create within people something that reflects the holiness of God. I've always believed any doctrine or teaching that doesn't strive to make me a holier man or you a holier woman, it's either got to be a work of the flesh or a doctrine of the devil. It can't be of God. The scripture says, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. A good church is going to seek to reflect the character of God. What is God like to you? Because whatever you believe God is like, that's how you're going to act every day. And your conception of God is going to be based upon what you understand about the word of God. The further you move from the scripture, I guarantee the closer you move towards the world. But the closer you move to God, the further you move from the world. We're in the world, but not of it. Bread isn't any cheaper for me than it is for you or anybody else that doesn't know God. Gas doesn't cost more or less for you or me than it does for somebody that doesn't know God. We have to go to the same places many times if you want to buy chicken, if you want to eat in a restaurant. But yet even in that place, you can still reflect the holiness of God surrounded by sinners in your family. And you can say, let's bow our heads and say grace and thank God for this meal. Well, pastor, if I do that, people are going to look at me. So what? If God is what you're after, then God will be the example that you have manifesting in your life. A church will seek to reflect a holy God. Now, now having said all of this, I, I, I'm not going to take a poll, but think about this. If you, if you heard that I was every other day stumbling around Main Street drunk... You think you'd be out here every Sunday listening to me? I think it's doubtful. I think it's doubtful. Yeah. If, if, if you found out that there is not a pastor or a singer that's better than Pastor Daryl at karaoke night at the local saloon, you think you'd be out on every Sunday to hear me? Chances are you probably would. Whatever, whatever you may feel about those other things, just because it's me, because you believe that Pastor Darrell should be held to a higher standard to whom much is given, much is required. But folks, I think the same way very often about church people. I, I, I think as Christians, we should do what we can to be the examples that we need to be. I go to places, I sit in the congregation, and I hear them. They'll do praise and testimony service, and they'll say, okay, we're taking prayer requests, and then sometimes I'll hear this. Let's remember my grandchildren. Let's remember my children. Let's remember my siblings. Let's remember my parents. And then I'll listen to some of the things they're talking about as far as praying. Later on, I may be in a conversation with them or overhear other conversations that are taking place as I'm talking with someone else. And, and, and the thing that strikes me sometimes is they want to see their family members saved, but it seems like they're putting a stumbling block before. If you sit down with your closest friends 
and your relatives, and you watch rated R and nudity and all of that, it's going to be very difficult to say to them afterwards, come on, let's go to church and worship God together. You may not think it'd be so bad, but I'm telling you, there are a lot of Christians in churches today that, that, that do those kinds of things, and they, they don't see anything wrong with that at all. In fact, I, I, I saw some church buses one time with Tiffany. We were up in Cripple Creek, Colorado, a little mining town up there, and there had to be 50 buses, maybe a little bit less, but a bunch of buses up there that, that were church buses taking folks to gamble. I couldn't believe that, that a church would sponsor that. A church should seek to reflect the, the, the holiness of God. It's going to be a good church, and, and people are going to respect the people. Here's something else. We should desire a spirit-filled life. Paul said, Ephesians 5.18, he said, Be filled with the Spirit and not drunken with wine. There should be a desire in our heart to walk in the fullness of the Holy Ghost, that God could use us and lead us. I was telling the folks this morning in Sunday school, because today is Pentecost Sunday, there was one of the stories in there about a lady who uh, thinks she was a neighbor to a Christian woman. The Christian woman invited her to church. She came to church and through coming to church got saved. After she became saved, she wanted a deeper experience with God. So she got hungry. She became hungry and hungry for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Started praying for the baptism. Said she went to sleep one night, had a dream. God filled her with the Holy Ghost in that dream. And when she woke up, she was speaking with other tongues. Just like Acts chapter 2. 120 people filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, Peter and John went to Samaria, laid hands on people that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, Peter preached to Cornelius and his family. The Spirit of God fell upon them after they heard the word and were saved. It said they all began to speak with other tongues and prophesy. Acts chapter 19, the scripture is very plain. Paul laid his hands on 12 people, having asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? They said we hadn't heard. They began to speak with other tongues and prophesy. Every one of us should strive for the fullness of the Holy Spirit and have a desire to live that kind of life, to be earnest about it. You know, the, the, the same way when, when I was in junior high and I used to box, and after school I would, you know, I got out of school, 205, caught the bus, came back to the east side of Cleveland, that's a 45-minute drive, then I'd get off the bus, go to the house for a little bit, have a little bit to eat, maybe do a little bit of homework, by 4 o'clock, I'm on the regular transit bus headed towards downtown Cleveland to go to the gym. I get off, go to the gym, and then I'm, I go walk in. I put all my, my uh, tape on my hands. I go to the speed bag, hit the punching bag, got to spar a little bit inside the ring with different people. Afterwards, you're, you're done. About 6 o'clock, you got to go run two and a half, three miles fast as you can. And then when you're done with that, then you head home. So I'd get home 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night. I did that every day, Monday through Friday. If I could be dedicated like that, then when it comes to the things of God, I could have the same kind of hunger, and it's the same with you. You can have a hunger for God and a yearning and a craving for God that causes you to be persistent in what you want from God. But I mean like a pit bull that grabs hold to a bone and won't let go. You've got to get right in there and say, oh, God, this is what I desire. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Man of God laid hands on me when I was a teenager. I began to speak with other tongues. You don't have to have somebody lay hands on you. You can receive it like they did on the day of Pentecost. You can be laying in bed at night. You can be driving 
your car. You can be riding on a riding lawnmower. God can fill you with the Holy Ghost. Wouldn't that be something? Just fall off the lawnmower and go to laying on your back, talking in tongues, and the neighbors come by and say, I always knew them Fangmires were different. <laughs> so, yeah, it can happen. Last fall, I was preaching in the church, and I wasn't even preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think I was teaching on the consequences of disobedience. And three quarters of the way through the service, I heard all this noise in the back. My volume on the microphone was going up and down and up and down. And lo and behold, the lady or the young lady, young lady who's back there running the sound in the sound booth, got filled with the Holy Spirit. She fell off the chair on the floor. The people in the back of the church heard her hit the floor. They went back there to see what was going on. They went back there. God filled them with the Holy Ghost. They fell out on the floor. All of this is going on while I'm up front preaching. All of these people don't know what's going on, but my voice is going up and down on that speaker system. And it wasn't until I was done preaching that we realized God was back there pouring out the Holy Ghost. I mean, I left the service. I Maybe with the evangelist and the pastor, 11, 15 at night, we went to Denny's to grab something to eat. But them people stayed in that church nearly all night. God was so busy in that place. Individual members desire a spirit-filled life. Here, here's something else that's a, an attribute of a great church. There's a keen interest in reaching the lost. Do we ever think about it? Does it ever cross our mind? Do, 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 do we wonder? Uh, is Lord, am I complacent sometimes? Do we wonder if, 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 it, if it's good for us to be able to go a week or a month without ever witnessing or sharing our faith with someone, inviting someone to church, talking to them about God? If we would show the care and concern for others that people at one time showed for us, the church in America would change the nation. Think about everything that people did in order to get you into the kingdom of God. Now, you may have been raised in church. I wasn't raised in church, so I was saved out of a bad place. But coming to know God, I realized that the Lord changed me in order for me to do my best to try to be a blessing to change other people. And that, that's important to me. Don't, don't ever take for granted the fact that you come from a good family and you were raised in a good way. That's nice. That's a benefit. That's advantageous. But don't take advantage of the grace of God. There are a lot of people need to know what you know about Jesus. And if you don't tell them, how will they know? Well, then here, here's the last thing. That an attribute of a great church, I believe, will be a people that are watching for the return of Jesus Christ. One day he's coming. I know we've been saying that for years. I've heard it all my life. You've heard it all yours. But... Doesn't look like he's come yet, but I'm telling you, he is going to come. From the time the Lord prophesied it in the book of Genesis until the Lord came, that was several thousand years, but every generation was looking for that hero to come and to deliver Israel and rescue them. And when Jesus finally appeared in the fullness of times, the Bible says people didn't even know he was there. Herod pulled out his charts and got his magicians and everybody else put their prophecy pictures up there on the wall and they started trying to figure out where the Messiah was supposed to come from. They said, well, maybe Bethlehem or something. I, I, I don't know, but I don't even know if he's supposed to be here right now. But he was there in a manger born to Mary. Folks, there was nothing that they could do in the Old Testament to get Jesus here quicker. But he got here on time. There's nothing we can do to get him here faster, but I can promise you he is coming. And when he comes, 
He needs to find us occupied. What should we be doing? Telling folks about Christ, witnessing, letting people know about Jesus. Now, returning to how I began with that paragraph of that, that pastor, he, he, that, that, that's a man that doesn't even understand rural ministry. That in some of these counties out here, Hayes County out west, only 1,000 people in the whole county. His man got 30,000 people in his church. He can't even understand Webster County. 5,000 people or less in the whole county. He, he, he can't comprehend the, the small numbers of people in the, the small towns, but the people raised in the small towns understand it. But I'll tell you what I also know, that in the small towns, God has a love and a desire and a concern for you out here in the small towns, just like he cares about the people in the big city. And God believes the people in small towns have a right to good ministry in rural areas, just like people have a right to good ministry in the big city. There are a lot of advantages to living in the city. You know that as well as I do. When I, when I lived in the city, I could be in church every night of the week. There was always somewhere to go and something to do. But I could also turn on the radio or turn on the television to hear about somebody being shot every night. There are advantages and disadvantages. You should praise the Lord that you can go somewhere where most people know who you are and know who your family is. That your kids can run up and down the street without anybody really having to worry about somebody trying to abduct them because just about everybody knows who folks are. That when you get in your car and you drive to the post office, you walk in, people know who you are. That you've got the safety and security of going to sleep sometimes without your door being locked rather than, as my mom does, have bars on all of the windows of the house, including the front and back door. There are advantages. Small church ministry. We all know one another. Get together, fellowship, have a good time. But let's not take for granted what we have through the grace of God in our heart. Because I can assure you, even though there are many places and many fellowships around here, there's nobody else around here like you. Yeah. And I pastor the greatest people in Nebraska, regardless of what anybody else says. Yes. Apostle Paul said, I am the chief of all sinners. That's what he said. There have been times in my life where I felt I was the chief of all sinners. And there have been times in my life where I thought you were the chief of all sinners. But here we are. Let's stand.